Good to see you here. Good to see you there as well. And uh, we greet you in the name of Jesus today. Uh, February uh, in our country is known as Black History Month. And uh, usually, you know, in years past, we would say a few things and, you know, try to bring some awareness. This year, I feel like I want to up the ante on that issue. I think it's in light of the year that we had last year, some of the social and racial unrest that we've had. And I thought it would be important for us as a church to focus in on Black History Month. So I have a few things to share with you. First of all, we have a short video. And then I have, I have three people I want to introduce you to. So let's show the video first. I often get asked the question of, um, of why Christians should care about or think about um, Black History Month. I actually get asked it uh, across the board. I've had African-American friends ask me that. I've also had uh, my, my white brothers and sisters ask me. And yet, uh, although I think that it needs to go beyond a single month, there is a special point of emphasis in the month of February to consider the numerous and significant contributions of African Americans in particular uh, to American culture. And, and I want to I, I encourage you in this way, that, that there is no kind of Western Christianity uh, without what God accomplished in Northern Africa in the first century. In fact, uh, a great deal of our kind of theological understanding and makeup was wrought in Northern Africa, not in Europe. In fact, there, there are many that would even trace the Reformation itself to Martin Luther's relationship with the deacon uh, in Northern Africa. And so our, our roots as Christians and our roots as America and the things that we would look around uh, and, and really celebrate, a, a lot of this has been built uh, by those who are African-American or African descent. or and, and so it's wise for us to grow in an understanding and a knowledge of how God has used and called unto himself men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth, and how those men and women have contributed uh, to this beautiful tapestry uh, of, of what it means to be the people of God in the United States of America. And so February uh, is a month that has been set aside for that. Uh, my, my hope would be that your curiosity might be stoked in February so that you become a lifelong learner uh, about how God is using men and women, both historically and in the present, uh, to shape the kingdom of God in front of us. And so uh, I would just encourage you, use the month of February, branch out, identify an African-American in history that you don't know anything about uh, or that, that you didn't hear growing up in the public schools and, and dive in. I, I would commend you, I think one of the best places to start uh, is Wilkerson's book, The Warmth of Other Sons, about the Great Migration. I think that book, uh, specifically for my Anglo brothers and sisters, uh, lays a bit of a foundation, some historical foundation, that I think helps, maybe helps uh, understand kind of the current landscape in a way that, that for many of us, uh, it, it's been hard for us to understand. And so I, I would just commend that resource as just one. Uh, and I think from there, you, you'll be able to spot some other ones to, to jump off on. So uh, dive in. God bless you. Let's grow together as a family. I want to thank our brother Paul Mayo, who's probably watching by live stream, for some of the insights and for opening my eyes to some things during our meetings and talks throughout the last several years. Also, thank you, uh, Denora. Bonifacio for, for some of the videos we'll be showing this month. But my, I want to introduce you to three people. 
that I, I think you, I've, I know you know two, you may know all three. But the backdrop for the first one is my son, our son Jeffrey married an African-American girl, and she had two children previously. So the oldest boy is Joseph. So several years ago, as I was visiting Joseph in North Carolina, just having a conversation, just trying to get to know him and everything, and I said, Joseph, who's the greatest baseball player? And I'm thinking, man, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, you know. Without batting an eyelash, he says, Jackie Robinson. And the light went off in my spirit, like, yes. For Joseph, as an African-American boy, Jackie Robinson is the greatest baseball player. So I just want to introduce you to Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was born in Georgia in 1919. He died in 1972. He was only 53 years old when he died. He died of heart disease and diabetes. But he was the first African-American ball player that broke the color line in Major League Baseball. We don't even think about that now. But when Babe Ruth was playing, all those guys back in those days, there were no black players. In fact, there was a different league called the Negro League for all the black players at that time. So Jackie Robinson, uh, he broke the Major League color barrier in 1947. He not, not only was a great athlete, he was a great person. And he was, he's always remembered for all that he put up with breaking that color line. He, they, he was abused terribly, but he was a gentleman, and he was, I believe, was a Christian person as well. So I just want to remember Jackie Robinson today. The second person I want to introduce to you is uh, someone, <laughs> someone uh, uh, dear to my heart in many ways. Never met him, of course, but had an influence on my life, on my music, on my, on my growing up years. You know, in the 60s, Martin Luther King said, you know, I have a dream. Well, this person came along in the entertainment world, and he, his, his phrase was, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And for the first time, blackness was okay. Blackness was embraced. Blackness was accepted, something to be proud of. Uh, Al Sharpton had said about, I'm talking about James Brown. Al Sharpton had said, James Brown was the first African-American entertainer that didn't try to conform to the white world or the the conventional world. He came in with all of his blackness, all of his African-Americanness, all of his soulness, all of his creativity. And if you know James Brown, the man could dance and sing like nobody else. Influenced thousands of people that came after him. So James Brown, uh, he was born in South Carolina in 1933. He died in 2006 at 73 years of age. And um, he'll always be remembered as a, as a great entertainer that, that in many ways broke the color line in mainline entertainment. The third person is probably someone you may know, you may not, but uh, several years ago, Pamela and I saw a movie. Uh, it was called Hidden, Hidden Figures, and uh, it featured an African-American woman by the name of Catherine, whom I'd never heard of before. But what a tremendous story it was. It was a great, I highly recommend the movie. There's several movies we'll be talking about this month, but that's one movie I would highly recommend. Um, it's a story of Katherine uh, Johnson, uh, who was a uh, aerospace technologist and mathematician and had a 35-year career with NASA. And because of her calculations and navigational charts and skills, she was able to help the astronauts in Apollo 11 and 13 go to the moon and come back again. And she'll always be remembered as a pioneer because at that time in the 60s, 
in 70s and 80s for that matter, there weren't many African-American people in that capacity. So she, um, she was born in West Virginia in 1918, and she died last year in February. She was 100 years old. And uh, we'll always remember her as, uh, as setting an example and, breaking again, breaking color lines and uh, contributing so much to our space program. We're indebted to her forever. So those are three people I wanted to introduce you to. Now, in, in the process, oh, I forgot to show you. As I was looking in my basement for some things, I came across my brother's old album. Anyone know what an album is? <laughs> James Brown, Live at the Apollo. <laughs> this album was always played at my house. This with the Temptations and Sammy, uh, uh, not Sammy Davis, no, Smokey Robinson. But James Brown, you know, this is a great album. And uh, Night Train, uh, Cold Sweat. Papa's got a brand new bag. But anyway, in the process of finding that, uh, inside of one of these albums was this newspaper clipping that um, I think my mom gave it to me some years ago, and I I forgot about it. The newspaper clipping says this, a suburban street where integration is a friendly tradition. It's a whole New York Times article. This is big, 1973. Pictures and the street and everything. The name of the street is Grapple Street. This is a street where I grew up in the 50s, moved away, but moved back there with Pamela and my family in the 80s. And uh, it's all about how the street was integrated. Black people, white people, Italian people, Polish people. And we we grew up there. You know what, to tell you the truth, no one ever thought we were integrated. No one ever thought of that word, as far as I know. It just happened. But it was recognized and put in the New York Times. That's a pretty big deal. And to this day, I believe it's still an integrated neighborhood. My mom still owns a house there. But uh, these are some things I, I think I could share some of my personal experiences, and I'm sure you have your experiences, but it's important to, to highlight the contributions of African-American people, not only this month, but all the time. By doing this, it may help, in the long run, eliminate some of the stress and social discord we've experienced last year. So let's do our part to share our, our experiences and to really love one another as the word came forth today. Amen. All right. Uh, we're going to receive the offering right now. By the way, why don't we stand? Uh, last, last couple of weeks, we've been receiving an offering for the African-American church out in Springfield. I want you to know we raised about $500, and the board decided to put in another 500 So we'll be sending $1,000 out to that church uh, to help them rebuild uh, their facility that was damaged by arson. So let's pray for the offering, then you can come and give it. Father, thank you, Lord, for uh, your blessing upon our lives. Thank you, Lord, that we can give. We pray your rich blessing upon this offering, Lord. Use it to meet our needs here, to support our missionaries, and uh, may the blessing be returned to the giver as well. We give you all thanks and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder how many of you watched the video I sent out uh, from Pastor Jim Cimbala. It was called The Radical Nature of Christianity. Uh, In it, he talks about love, love within the church. Well, actually, he talks about the lack of love in the church. Um, I would encourage you to read that or to see that and uh, let the Lord speak to you through it. But I believe as I was contemplating that, I watched it a few times, actually. And actually, when I watched it, there were some parts of it that made me chuckle because I knew exactly what he was talking about. But from that, the Lord put on my heart the idea to speak about love today, love within the body. So I've entitled the message today, Where's the Love? 
And I thought, you know, it's Black History Month. That's important. It's Valentine's Day is coming. That's important. President's Day is this month. Super Bowl's tonight. It's a good time to talk about love. So I, I titled the message, Where's the Love? We're going to look at three passages of Scripture. And we're going to settle into the third passage. So if you can, take your Bible. Those of you at home, take your Bible. And the first passage is John chapter 13. And after we read these, we'll, uh, we'll pray. So John 13, and, and notice the, the, the scriptures we're reading. One was written by Jesus, one is written by Paul, and one is written by John. So John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm turning there with you. We see Paul's words to the church in Corinth. He says, though I speak, verses 1, 2, and 3, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, And all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And over in 1 John chapter 4, we're just going to read verses 7 and 8. We'll look at the rest of that passage in a minute. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. You know, back in the day, uh, these two verses were a very popular chorus that people sang. I'm talking 30, 40 years ago. But anyway, it goes like this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the word you put on my heart to share. I ask you, Lord, to help me to articulate this in such a way that hearts would be touched, challenged, perhaps. But, Lord, that we would be better off, that we would be better equipped to fight this fight and do the things you want us to do. Lord, I pray that for everyone hearing this here and at home to have an open heart, open ear, open spirit to receive it all. And then, Lord, that we all would apply it to our lives and to our place of fellowship. So thank you, Lord. Lord, speak through me now. We give you opportunity. Let your Holy Spirit speak, Lord, that we will hear your voice. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. So all the words for love that we just read are referring to the agape, agape love. of This is the, the unconditional, perfect, uh, immeasurable, incomparable love of God towards all of humanity. You know, God, God is agape. God pours out his love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He, his love is, is, is unique. It's, 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 it's unconditional. He loves everybody. And Jesus, Paul, and John took that and, 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 and told us that the scriptures we just read, as God loves us, we are now called to agape one another. We are called to love one another. Those within the body of Christ first, and then those outside of the body of Christ. 
I say that because what Jesus said in John 13, they, those outside, will know you're my disciples by your agape towards one another. Not by how, how loud you sing or how long your services are or whatever else. They'll know your, your mind by the way they see you loving each other with agape love. And in John 3.16, go into all the world. You know, God so loved the world go, uh, that he gave his only son and go into the world and proclaim the, the word. We love those outside of the church as well. But it begins first with, with our love for God. Let, let's just start right there. Well, one day in the Gospels, uh, a, a man approached Jesus. And he said, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest one? He said, well, this one, all the... All the prophets in the law hang on this one. To agape your God with all your love, heart, soul, and strength. Love, love God with all that you have. That's the first and foremost commandment. Love him supremely. Love him unconditionally. Love him unquestionably. Love him with all your heart. So now I'm thinking God's love is agape. And he's activated something within us to love him back the same way you ever think about that like love God when what you pray for doesn't happen love God while you're going through a, a, some turmoil love God when you know someone pulls the rug out, rug out from under you and you're left saying Lord what happened you love God with an agape love love him back that's the greatest commandment and the second commandment he says is like it to love your neighbor as yourself but I thought about that like well, how do, you love your, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? Well, as you love yourself is how you're going to love your neighbor. If you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. So I look at it like this. We've got to love God first. We've got to love ourselves next. Because if we don't love ourselves, we'll never love our neighbor. Well, how do we love ourselves? It's, that, that needs to be talked about a little bit, you know. Well, we have to remember some of the scriptures that... Uh, um, God created us in his image. David said, you know, I praise him because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And Jeremiah says that God knew us before we were even born. So I, when I think about that, I think about I've got to love myself because God loves me. I've got to appreciate what God did. He created me. Many times I'll say to the Lord, Lord, I know your word says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but will you help me get in shape a little bit? You know, but, but I know he made me, he made me good. He made all of us good. We've been tainted by sin. Uh, when I hold my little, my little grandbaby, Betsy's little baby, uh, Scarlett, I see, I see such a miracle of life. I can't even believe it. So, little Silas, what a, what a miracle of life. But God created us. We've got to appreciate the life that God gave us. Jesus said in one place, he said, you, you, you're more valuable, you're more precious than many sparrows. You're on the top of the line. So as we love God and love ourselves and appreciate what God has done for us, we can then step out and love our neighbor. And so our neighbor could be those in the church or those outside of the church. They're all our neighbor. But in John 13, Jesus is talking about our neighbor within the church. Love agape one another as I have agape you, you know. And all will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. In the second scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul says it really good. And this is for the Pentecostals. You can speak in tongues all you want to. But if you don't have love, man, you're just making a lot of noise. 
You're, you're sounding brass, brass or a clanging cymbal. He says, if you, you prophesy, if you have faith, you can move a mountain. You have all this knowledge. Paul says, if I don't have love with that, I'm nothing. If I don't have agape, I'm nothing. And so, you know, we see that sometimes. You know, people, because those gifts, those, those spiritual gifts are within the body. So you can't minister spiritual gifts in the body without having love for the body. That's what I'm saying. You can't, you know, say all these things and not love people with an agape love. He said, even if I feed the poor and if I suffer for Christ, if I don't have agape, it profits me nothing. The last verse in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, says, Abide in faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Abide in love. Abide in that agape. Then over in 1 John chapter 4, I want to go here and look at this a little bit. Several things in this passage really caught me. Let's go through it. Verse number 7. He starts out by saying, beloved. You know, that word itself is saying, I love you. I, I have agape for you. All these words are agape now. They're not, they're not eros. They're not sexual love. They're not filio, brotherly love. They're not storhe, family love. All these words we're talking about are agape love. Unconditional, unmeasurable. You know, uh, uh, unstoppable love. Just a love of God. He said, beloved. He said, I love you. I love you. My family, I love you, my brothers and sisters. But let us love one another. And right here, I, I, I think what John is saying is, let's decide to love each other. Let's, let's do this. And that tells me something right there. That sometimes the agape is dormant within us. It's there, but it's dormant. It's not activated. He's saying, come on, I love you. I, I agape you, my, my brothers and sisters. But let us agape one another. Let's, now, I don't know if they weren't. I don't know why he's saying this, but he's saying it. He's writing to a series of churches, not, not one church in particular. He's writing to Christians. But, beloved, my brothers and sisters, let us decide, let us make a decision to love each other. Meaning the love of God is in us. Let's let that out towards one another. And he goes on to say, for love is of God. Agape is of God. Let us agape one another. The agape comes from God. He says, everyone who loves, everyone who agapes. So he's asking, let's, let's agape one another. Now, if, if you want to agape, everyone who agapes is born of God. Translated, is born again. So you can't agape without being born again. So once you're born again, you have, we all have the capacity to agape one another. He's born of God and knows God. Has a relationship with God. So verse number eight. If you don't love, if you, if you can't agape, if you don't agape, it's because you don't know God. If you knew God, it comes with the territory. It comes with the, the practice of repenting and, and turning to God, receiving God's agape. We have it now. Now, when I first got saved, I didn't know that. I knew I was different. I knew I thought different, and I did act different. But I never could put it together like that. The agape of God was working in my heart, just like in your heart. So agape originates from God. And, uh, you know, you know the scriptures, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation, right? You know, we're born again of the spirit. Uh, Romans 8 tells us we have not received the spirit of fear and bondage, but we have the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, something's going on here. 
with our salvation. This is a big deal. Our whole lives have been changed. Our whole eternity has changed. Our whole experience on life, on earth, has changed. But the Spirit of God lives in us. Now, there's one passage. You could turn here if you want to, but 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Let me tell you what it says. Paul writes to the Thessalonians. He says, you know, I have no need to, to write to you about filio, about brotherly love. Okay. You know, family love, like, like you love each other as, as brothers and sisters. Because, he said, you've been taught by God, you've been taught by God to, to love one another. But the word for love there is agape. So I don't have to talk to you about filio love, because you have the brotherly love. Because when you receive Christ, you've got a deposit of the agape love. And the agape love gives you the capacity for the filio love. You get that? So once, once we receive Christ, we have this agape in us. And, and, and there, now we're able to expand that out and love other people with a filial love. And Paul says, but we urge you, you've got it, but we urge you to go more and more or deeper and deeper in this love. Because sometimes the agape could be hidden or be distracted. Or we could not pull from it because we're too upset about something or we don't think of it. And we don't get all the resources that we want, that we should. So, verse number, verse number 9. In this, this is how the agape of God is manifested. That God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, into the world, that we might have life through him. So the love of God, the agape of God, was manifested, was made visible, was made, you know, practical, like, like displayed for all to see by, by God sending Jesus to the earth. So the agape of God, the love of God, is personified in Jesus. So when we, we receive Jesus, we receive the agape. That's why we can say things like, like Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because I have a different thing in me now. I have a different base in me. I have a different, a different spirit within me. I can do all things. In that context, I, I learned how to be a based or, or a bound. I could, I could be down or I could be up. I, I could deal with it because Christ is living in me. He says, Paul said in another place, it's no longer I that live. It's Christ that lives in me. How could he continue with what he did with stripes on his back, people hitting him, punching him, throwing him in jail, shipwrecked, beaten, uh, starving? His whole life, and then killed for his faith. How could one do that without the love of God working in them? Another place Paul wrote, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. That's why it's so important for us to think about this two, two words, in Christ. Are you in Christ? Are you really in Christ? You're either in or you're out. But if you're in Christ, you have the love of God working in you and working through you. Okay, verse number 10. So here, here this, this then is agape. This is agape. Not that we agape God, but that he loved us. He loved us first. And he sent his son uh, to be the propitiation or the atonement or the payment for our sins. And then it says, verse number 11, famous scripture. Beloved, he's saying again, beloved, I love you. You're loved by God. You're loved by me. If God so agape us like that, we also ought to agape one another. And that's where, that's what I want to talk about today. So when we're born again, just to reiterate, the agape of God is deposited in our hearts. But we must learn to use it, cultivate it, 
develop it, train it, and bring it out in our, daily, in our day-to-day existence. And for an example, I want to use the person of Peter. Everyone know Peter? He's a great, great man of God, a man of great faith, as well as great blunders. But we read in the Gospel, we're going to look at John 21 in just a minute. But we read in the Gospels that Peter had great insights, you know. When, uh, when Jesus asked the apostles, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And they said, oh, this one or that one. And, and he said, who do you say that I am? Peter's the only one that said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Great insights. You know, had a great anointing on him. He had great, great confidence. You know, he's the only one that walked on the water, when you think about it. He said at the Last Supper, he said, Lord, if others will deny you, I will never deny you. They'll, they'll, they'll walk, I will never walk out on you. Maybe a little braggadocious, but he had great confidence. He had great zeal. You know the story of, in Gethsemane, when Jesus was getting arrested. One of the apostles, Peter, took a sword with him. And when Jesus was getting arrested, pulled out the sword and cut off the guy's ear. And Jesus said, no, and he picked up the ear and healed the person. But he had great zeal. He had great, you know, he, he had great potential. But you know what happened to Peter, as was predicted. That night, he denied the Lord three times. Vehemently denied the Lord. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. It says cursing, I don't know him. You know, vehemently denying he knew the Lord. And immediately, the rooster crowed, and he was convicted and the scripture says, you know, he just went, went away somewhere and wept bitter, bitter tears. He was broken, remorseful, sorry, uh, just beside himself. And he was just a mess. Well, the story goes on. Jesus died that next day. And on the third day, he arose. And for 40 days, Jesus is appearing to all the people, 500 at a time, it says. The apostles, Peter's one of them. But in John chapter 20, we read that Jesus appeared to the eleven. And breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is before Pentecost. So we believe that's when they were born again. They received the Holy Spirit for rebirth. But in John 21, you know, like you, you could think that Peter, Peter's all set, you know. But John 21 reminds us that Jesus never leaves anything uncovered. He never lets anything go. He, he always makes sure that it's taken care of. In other words, no stone in our life will, will be left unturned. So he comes to Peter after appearing to everybody right, right before he ascended to heaven. In verse number 15, they had breakfast together. You know, Peter's probably thinking, wow, I guess everything's okay now. You know, I, I repented, I, everything's okay. Jesus says to Peter, look, look at it, verse number 15. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these And he says to Jesus, yes, Lord, you know I I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my my lambs. In verse 16, Jesus said a second time to to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Remember, there are three denials, so there's three questions that kind of... Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon of Jonah... Son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
So Jesus made things right with Peter. But I want to go into the, some of the Greek words here for the word love. And it changes the whole thing. When Jesus said to Peter in verse number 15, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally with all your heart, all your, all your soul, all, you know, all your mind, all your strength? And now remember, this is Peter, who before, I'll never deny you, you know. And then he did, and he was broken. And now he's put to the test. Do you, do you agape me? And the word that Peter answers is, it's not agape, it's philia. He says, Lord, you know, I filio you. I respect you. I love you like my brother. I honor you. And Jesus accepts that. He says, okay, feed my lambs. Verse 16. Second time, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? And Peter says, second time, Lord, you know that I filio you. Do you love me with all your heart and soul? Lord, I... I picture Peter's being honest. I, I want to, but I'm not there yet. I love you as, as my brother. My, I respect you. I honor you. I, I give you my heart. But I, he says, okay, tend my sheep. The third time, Jesus says, listen to this. Simon Peter, do you filio me? And Peter's thinking, I just said I filio you two times. That's why it says he was grieved. Now he's questioning my sincerity if I filio him. I, I, I'm not being, making it up. I can't say I agape him, but I filio him. And Jesus said, do you, do you, really, do you really filio me? He says, Lord, uh, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I filio you. And, and Jesus says, feed my sheep. So then we have this situation where Peter is broken he wants to be honest. He doesn't want to make the same mistake as before and be all boisterous and loud and confident and everything. And the Lord accepted his position. The Lord's saying, yes, I'll use you as you filio me. And I think at that point, I believe agape was in Peter's heart. He just didn't realize it yet. He had to step out in faith and serve the Lord and do what the Lord said. But look at the next verse. The very next verse is, Jesus says to Peter, okay, you're going to filio me. Most assuredly, I say to you, let's just read a little bit between the lines. The way that you love me, Peter, is going to result in your death. You're going to die for me. If you love me, you're going to die for me. So surely I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands like on a cross. And another will gird you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he spoke signifying by what? Death, he would glorify God. And when Jesus had finished speaking to him, he said to Peter, follow me. Remember in the beginning, three years before, Peter, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. But this whole process, there's something going on with Peter, something going on with Jesus. And he's saying, Lord, I can't say that I love you with all my heart. I'm broken. I'm naked before you. This is all I can do right now. And the Lord honored that. And commissioned him to go feed his sheep. You love my sheep. You tend my sheep. And Peter wrote about being a shepherd in one of his epistles. So he knew the idea of loving and caring for people. So somewhere along the line, I believe it was in Acts chapter 2, when Peter was now filled with the Holy Spirit, this is just a little bit after that episode, 
probably, I don't even want to, a couple of weeks probably. So when, when Peter is now filled with the Holy Spirit, we see the agape rising up at Pentecost. Now he loves God unashamedly, without any restraint. He begins to proclaim the things of God to all the Jewish people that could very well have killed him right then and there on the spot. He didn't even care. Somehow he went from filio to agape to proclaim the word of God. And he went from filio to agape to, to tell the truth to those people and to share the things of God in such a way that they would receive it and repent and become born again. So he had, he, had, he had agape in there that had to be cultivated or had to be set loose. And what I'm saying is, there's a couple more examples, but within the body of Christ, every one of us has agape inside to give out. We just have to trust God and step out and begin to use it. We can filio people, you know, we, that's good. We, and we have that fellowship, that brotherly love. But when we have the agape, we have the capacity to love people unconditionally. Why is that important? If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you'll know what I'm talking about. There will be people in the church that will hurt you, that will talk bad about you, that will do things that will, you know, sometimes you think the world is better than the church. But if there's agape there, you could deal with it. If there's no agape there, you can't deal with that. You leave. And so it's there. I think Peter, when, in John 20, when Jesus breathed on them, I believe he was born again and had a deposit of agape. But in 21, he didn't realize it yet. And that's another thing. You may not even realize it till you're put to the test. Peter was put to the test. Lord, I love it. I feel you. I, I can't make it up. And the Lord respected that. Okay, you take care of my sheep. You're a leader in the church, Peter. You take care of my sheep. It's going to cause you your, your death, but you follow me. And, you know, so as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, you ever wonder why it was Peter that spoke that first sermon? Why Peter? Could have been any one, any one of them, you know. They're all qualified. I think Peter was, was having like a revolution in his spirit. Like, wow, hey, I get it now. I'm going to proclaim the word of God because I agape God back now. And I'm going to agape these people even if they want to kill me. I'm going to agape them. And what happened? 3,000 people got saved that day. Next we see him in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. Uh, we went through this. Peter a Jew, Cornelius a Roman. Uh, Peter, you know, religious and knew all the laws and the, the law of Moses and so forth, the eating restrictions and everything. This is basically a heathen person that, that kind of had a heart for God but didn't know what he was doing. He's a soldier, different culture. And in obedience to God, Peter goes to the man's house and sits down and eats with him. Why? Because he agape God so much that God's love was greater than whatever he learned as a kid or as, a, as an adult about other people that weren't Jews. His love for God was greater than his feelings from his culture. And he sits down and he talks with them, with, with Cornelius. Shares Christ with him, him and his household. And they get saved, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, they get baptized. So Peter now, he loves God with an agape. He loves people with an agape. And in Acts chapter 15, we see him at the Jerusalem council. It's Peter that rises up. To stand before the whole council, you know, I think Paul was there, James was there, all the, John was there, all the big shots of the church were there. Peter stands up and says, you know what? These Gentiles are just as saved as we are. They're saved by their faith, not by works. 
And now Peter's demonstrating his love for people by sticking up for them, standing up for them, and, and defending their faith. And I thought, wow, that's a lesson for the church. Listen, we have agape in us. You know, just because someone was brought up different than however we were, or there's a different culture, or whatever, different socioeconomic level we're, we're living in, or none of that matters. And if you notice in the, in the scriptures, I've looked. There is never any uh, issue regarding race. Never. Once you're in Christ, it doesn't matter. That, that's in the scripture. Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, Scythian or barbarian, doesn't matter. Once you're in Christ, man, it's, it, we're all the same. But how are you going to get that when you weren't brought up that way? That's what I'm saying. The only way you're going to get that is to realize when you got saved, God deposited something within your spirit to be able to handle that. And if the church can't handle that, how in the world do we expect the world to handle it? The, wor- the church has to handle it. The world should be learning from the church how to handle these issues, right? So, so I thought about all that. I, I just want to tell the church, listen, there has been deposited in every one of our hearts a capacity to love God. That's another thing. We can love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can. It may take some discipline, but we can and we must. And we can love one another in spite of differences, in spite of things that may have happened. So I thought about all that. And I thought, well, that's good. And I, I wanted to get into some things here from 1 John 4, 11. So, beloved, if God loved us that way, his son for us, we ought to love each other that way. What are some practical ways that we can agape one another? And, and I know how it is. I'll pray for you. That's great. We should. That is one way. Pray with you might be better. If we say, I'll pray for you, you know, I'll, I'll see you later. I'll pray for you. But if I, I'll pray with you. Well, anyway, I just wrote a couple of things down. This, this took me about a minute to put together, believe me. It wasn't hard to think about ways to agape one another. There's probably a hundred more other ways. But um, say something nice to somebody. I, I, I was going to say, say something to somebody. Just say hi. But I, I think, you know. Sometimes I wonder, you know, geez, so people don't talk to me. What's going on? Is it me? Well, anyway, either say something or say something nice. But in other words, break the silence barrier. There may be somebody in church or somebody, you know, from the church that you see in a store. You know, like if you, don't, if you don't say hi to somebody, they're left wondering, what's up with that? Did I do something? You know, did I, am I, they don't like me? So anyway... Just say hi. It's very easy. Um, listen to someone's story. You know, everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. I've got a story. I got a lot. I got a lot of stories. And I like when people want to know my story. I do. I like when people want to hear what I have to say. And I think you know, in a church setting where there's different people, different types of people different cultures of people. I love hearing stories, how people came to America, where their families came from, what they do for a living. I love all that. I want to hear how you got saved. That's important for people. You know why it makes them feel like they're valuable? That's how I feel. Someone wants to hear what I have to say. 
I, they, must think, you know, they must think well of me. They want to hear what I have to say. Um, how, about, how about getting to know one another? I mean, this COVID season has done a job on the church, don't, don't you think? I mean, we have our limitations. And, uh, man, I was, I was no, that friendlies up there, that was known as my second office. I was always up there meeting with somebody. I don't do that anymore. I haven't done that in a long time. But we have to somehow find out or find a way to get to know each other. I, I, I uh, have grown to appreciate live stream. I've grown to appreciate Zoom meetings. I really appreciate texts and emails and all that technology. Facebook, I even do. But we need to get to know each other and appreciate each other. Uh, here's another one. Spend time together. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, how you doing? It's another thing to say, let's, let's go get a bite or let's, let me talk to you for a few minutes. Let, you know, just spend time together. That means the world. And let me say something about that. Uh, Paul Mayo, Paul, if you're still watching, you know I love you, but I have to say, our times together, my time with Paul Mayo, we, we meet, you know, periodically. Just talking together has enlightened my soul and my spirit. His experience is different than mine. Although we're both from, he's from Lower Connecticut, I'm from the New York area right near Connecticut. But, you know, as an African-American and I, I was not. And, but anyway, I, I've learned so much. It's valuable. Spend time together. Talk to each other. How about, uh, let's see, where am I? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, bite your tongue sometimes. Uh, I, I was going to say bite your tongue all the time, but I'll, I'll, be, I'll give you a little bit. But, you know, be careful what you say. How you say what you say. Sometimes what you say is not so bad. It's how you say what you say. So be careful. Some people are sensitive. Uh, use, uh, use kindness uh, on your social media platform. Well, that social media could be a monster, can it? There's a lot of, a lot of uh, hatred on that thing. But I really think as a Christian, we should use the social media to be kind and loving to people and, and to put our opinions out there, but do it with respect and so forth. Um, I've got my numbers mixed up. I don't know. The last one, I, I would say, speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4. You know, speak the, it's important to speak the truth. But say it in love. You know, it's all about how you say it, how you come across. So these are just some practical ways how we can show agape to one another. But I, I want to reiterate the fact that, listen, everyone in this room, everyone on live stream, has ha- if you're born again... 1 John 4, 7. If you're born again, you have a deposit of agape in your life, in your heart. It's there. We just have to cultivate it and bring it out like Peter. He had to learn how to use it. And I'll tell you what, Peter's a great example of someone who was really rough and tough and, you know, just uh, sometimes obnoxious. But the Lord really used him to further the gospel in some powerful ways. Peter let God change him. And, uh, yeah, he died for his faith, too. So, anyway, in conclusion, uh, there, 1, 1 John 4, uh, 11, uh, where's the love? Okay, where's the love? The love is in our hearts. Let's release it. Let's release it. And the scripture is, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God so agaped us, we also ought to agape one another. Amen. So if someone says, where's the love? It's in our hearts. We just need to release it. On that note, I want to prepare for communion and uh, reflect on God's agape for us, because that's where it all starts.
You know, again, this is a message for the church. This is for the church. The world doesn't have agape. They have a lot of filio and other kinds of love. They do. But they don't have agape. The church has agape love. And so if we're low on agape, let's go to the source of agape, God, and receive that love to fill up our tank. One way to do that is to receive communion and contemplate what he did for us. So does everyone have your setup? Uh, we're going to show the, the video right now as we transition into communion. But it, does anyone need one? Oh, those of you at home, please, uh, if you can, real quick, get a little cup of juice or water and get a cracker or a piece of bread or something and uh, get ready to have communion with us. Uh, there'll be a video on here, which I'm not sure will be put on the live stream or not, but uh, let's just reflect as the song plays right now.